All right, I'll save it for later. I'll save it through the whole podcast and then give it to you at the end. <laughs> Wait, do it right now. I I already did. Oh, it was silent. Yep. I didn't know, though. I, I rolled the dice. <laughs> We're uh, having a spicy cocktail. cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> having Leave a cocktail, having a hang sesh, having a snow-kissed moment here in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where we look into each other's eyes and realize... Do you realize that you have the most beautiful face? face? I don't know that song. It's really a beautiful song. You know what song I used to sing to Cole when he was a baby, though? Something probably inappropriate. Do 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 do. You do this. Do 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 do. Go ahead. Do 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 do. I'm thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are images, and when we kiss, they're perfectly aligned. And I have to speculate that God himself didn't make us into corresponding shapes like puzzle pieces on the true it may seem like a stretch but it's thoughts like you to catch my troubled head when you're away when I am missing you to death and that's why to a true crime musical podcast I'm your host, Quinlan Posner. And I'm your other host, Carrie Ipema. Got you. Got you. You guys are so gullible. That's what I love about you. My favorite thing about you is how much of an idiot you are. <laughs> that's pretty arch, man. I'm sweating. Gullible, that's what you, when someone's like, you're so gullible, this you're drink an idiot. is making me sweat bullets. <laughs> and are we doing the ghost protocol? Here's what we're doing. Are we going to do it? Ghost protocol. Carrie. Quinn. Readers, here's the deal. Carrie has been ghosted by someone she went on a couple great dates with, four to be exact, and it was going great, and then he vanished. We talk about it a lot on our Patreon episode, so if this is a subject that interests you, Carrie being severely ghosted, I suggest you join Patreon because you'll get uh, the whole story there. What we're going to do now is not repeat that story, but instead, just give the guy a call. Let's be direct. She's texted. He hasn't said anything. I asked if he was okay. Nothing. I'm really Ghost. nervous. I'm really nervous, too. I'm really glad we're recording it, though. That I am, too, because I'd like to like have it. a good it, buffer, an emotional buffer. Well, it feels like when there's witness, I'm probably going to laugh during it, which shouldn't happen. I'm, like, really nervous. Live from New York. It's Friday afternoon. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. Can I hide in my sweater? I feel like I can't look at you during this. Oh, my God. I'm dying He's right now. He's not going to pick up, so you just have to be ready for your message. <sighs> okay. 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 What if he picks up? He won't pick up. He won't. Hey, it's you know the drill. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages. <gasps> Goodbye. Oh my god. The plot fucking thickens the mailbox y'all. is full. I knew that. I called that. I knew that. Why is the mailbox full? Everyone's calling him because his phone's broken? It notice how it didn't ring. It didn't ring at all. What's going on? The his phone broke. He doesn't have your number. I mean, it's in his phone. 
His phone's broken. Yeah. So he can't call you. He's not on social media, so he wouldn't necessarily be able to message you through social media without going to the trouble of creating an entire account. How would he get in touch with you? If you were him, And what would you do? I mean, it's so. if I were him, one, he might not know how to spell my last name. So when I meet people at bars, I put my name and then I put... He might not even know your last name. I've told him my last name. But... So we just talked about name blindness. I have it. Well, he also could look up he didn't that I did one. He could look Carrie up Carrie Ipema killing another Carrie Ipema. He could look up any of the shows. Like I do a one woman sex in the city and he could look that up and find my name. Okay. So he could he could online stalk you in a way where he would figure out who you were. Yeah. The plot thickens. What I'm is, starting give me your to thoughts. think give me your thoughts. I am starting to think you're not being ghosted. And that's my thought. That's my thought. My thought I'm is starting to think this that. guy's going to get in contact in two days and be like, I finally got a new phone. I don't have anybody's number. But he, how is he going to get in contact is the big question. This requires a lot of him. It requires not that much, but a lot for a guy. He has to, like, really want to find you to find you at this point. The thing is, he knows where I live. So he could write you a love letter. You're right. All right. He has plenty of ways to get in touch. I give it uh, three more days. And if he hasn't found a way to get in touch in three days... It's over. I mean, okay, I f- how I feel, I feel relieved that everybody's trying to get a hold of him. His mailbox is full. I also truly believe he might be dead. Right, though? Like, I don't think he's dead. Why is this Whose phone... phone doesn't work, though, after a week? Whose phone dies along with them? They just both died together? Well, he died, the- and then, like, no one can get a hold of him. And his phone is dead. He's missing. Listen, I, I don't think he's dead. And I also, I think he's going to get in contact. Do you think there's still hope? Uh-huh. That's what I just said. I think he's going to get in contact. What is that? It's okay. I have another date lined up with another guy next week. Because you know what? This woman waits for no man. Yes. Thank you. That's what I wanted thank to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, oh, my God. What a roller coaster I've been on. I think I want to get the new birdie one that shares your location. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. They have, so I have the one that's like pretty analog. You know, you take it out, light, sound, siren. But there's one, I think, that like sends a GPS signal. Oh, cool. I have you that. seen those like um, necklaces that like you can click and they give you a GPS signal? No, but I did see a movie about a necklace that had hidden diamonds in it. And once you put it on, you can't take it off. So if bad guys wanted the diamonds, they would have to cut your head off to get the necklace. Isn't that like an Edward Gorey fairy tale with the ribbon? No, there was no diamonds in the ribbon. I know, but I love that story. That story yeah, stayed yellow. With I can me. still picture the exact illustration. And she's on the swings, and she's like smiling, and it's and like has the yellow ribbon, and her hair's black, and it's not that good a drawing. Ah, uh, so scary. so good. I love that. I love that one. You but... wait, that would be such a good Halloween costume <gasps> to be her. That's so good and so easy, but you can't do it. Well, that's You have mean. to have long black hair. Do I do a wig? No, no you die it. You 100% die it. I would it's never. I would never do dye my hair Do you ever hear about me accidentally dyeing my hair black? I think I do remember this story. I did it for Halloween. I did it to be wild style, the Lego. And I thought that I've never had Wasn't dyed my hair before. was permanent but it fully... I thought that wash and shampoo dyes just come out after a few whatevers. I but I think so... that's true of like blonde on brown or something. But I went... 
You can't black. do blonde on brown. I went black and it was in my hair for like six months. I had black hair just for Halloween, for one night, for a party. It was disappointing. I don't look good with black hair. We got the word. Listen, it came back. The, nope. the reviews are in. It's a flop. Nope. <laughs> it's not a good look. By the way, you're listening to Truly, Darkly, Creepily. I'm Woodland Paz. And I'm Carrie Epima. And you're you. And we're so happy you're here. Let's do this together. Let's hold hands. Let's get in a circle. And let's get weird. Let's do... By the way, what was that? What is that from? Ashes, we all... If I give you a hint of a music number, ready? Listen. What TV show is it from? Oh, fuck. I think you know it. It's not like, it wouldn't be anything recognizable. Do it again. Nope, I can't do it. It's when Phoebe tells them to go to their happy place and she goes in their corner and goes, la, 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 la. So good. You would never know. But you're friends. You say, listen, you say you like friends. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? I love friends. Don't ever accuse. J'accuse. J'accuse. Okay. Do I want to exercise every day? Yes. Do I? No. Do I want to eat a healthy meal every day? Yes. Do I? No. Would it be helpful if somebody emailed me every morning recipes and exercises I can do at home? Yes. That's why I'm here to talk to you about Movement and Meals. It's a newsletter that is delivered to your inbox every morning that says, hey, here's a recipe. Here's a way to move your body. And you do it. What's really cool about it, too, is if you sign up for this newsletter on Saturdays, they send you a shopping list for what you need for the upcoming week. So it's like mindless. You just can have healthy meals, do exercises without having to think about it. So you can try this for two weeks for free at movementandmeals.substack.com. And after the two-week trial, it's just seven bucks a month. That's it. It's like 35 cents a day for somebody else to just make all those decisions for you, which let's be honest, that's what we want. We want someone to tell us what to do so that we don't have to use that part of our brain. So sign up for Movement and Meals for free for two weeks at movementandmeals.substack.com and let's outsource someone controlling that part of our life, right? I could use that. Could you? Again, movementandmeals.substack.com. Get your life right. I have to tell you a really cool, fun way to shop, and you will also be supporting another another dear dear reader. reader. Because Patreon subscriber, dearest reader, Harley, Harley, has a totally rad business with her husband. They're called A Witch. A Witch. And a Woodsman. And a Woodsman. And their website is a witch and a woodsman LLC.com. It's so fun. I love their site. I love their products. They sent us a few things and I'm in love. They do homemade spell candles that have like crystals in them and are different scents. They have custom spell jars, small, yes. medium, and large that I feel like would would be really fun to buy, but also Their stuff is so cute. I love it for gift ideas. And you're shopping small business, which is something we love. Yeah, they've got a bunch of really interesting stuff. You can buy a spell kit. 
and it's in a really pretty wooden box. Everything is wrapped just cute and pretty. That's why I said I think it would make a great gift. And then they also have um, aromatherapy necklaces. Mm. They're really pretty, though. They're like in different precious sort of stones and crystals. Everything they do is customizable. So you can look through their site and figure out exactly what you want and let them know. And it's Harley. So you'll be talking to another person that listens to Truly Darkly Creepily being like, I heard about it on the show. And in fact, you know I heard about it on the show because Because you're using the code TDC10 for 10% off. Love it. Love. Thank you, Harley, for giving that promo code to your fellow dear readers. It's and so nice these and generous. Treats, Harley, we love them. We love you. And we love a witch and a woodsman. So everybody get online right now. Let's support them. Go to a, a witch, witch and, and a, a woodsman, LLC.com and buy yourself some handmade wooden steel tipped darts. So y'all, I previewed this last week, although I don't know if we kept it in, but I decided to do the story of Natalie Holloway. She was someone I remember when this happened, and of course I heard all about it, but I, you know, I wanted to do the story. And in 2017, which I'll get to, they did a documentary called The Disappearance of Natalie Holloway. And so I watched that all last night. Can I say I don't know anything about this case, and I'm totally excited that you're covering it? Oh, good. Good. I'm excited to cover it. Yeah. So... I got this information from the disappearance of Natalie Holloway, Wikipedia, CBS 42, but the documentary series covered quite a bit of it. So Natalie is from Mountain Brook, Alabama. She graduates from high school, and the February before she graduated, she calls her dad, and she's like, hey, dad, listen, I'm going to this post-graduation trip to Aruba. Can you pay, like, half the deposit? And so her dad's like, chill. He pays the money. Her parents are separated or divorced. Her parents are divorced. She's living with her mom. but She has a very nice relationship with both of her parents. Um, so her dad sees her right before she goes on the trip to Aruba the day before, after the day after she graduated. Um, she goes with, like, a couple dozen kids to Aruba. There's a bunch of chaperones. and they're Have you jo- ever been to Aruba? Mm-mm. Have Can you? Can I tell you about my trip to Aruba? Absolutely. Went with a group of three friends that were not good friends. They were just okay friends. That sounds like an awful idea. Can I tell you something? One of the best vacations I've ever been on. You know why? We didn't have any pre-built-in... Drama or anything. Not drama, but also not... Because we didn't know each other that well, there was almost a vibe of everyone wanting the other people to be happy in a different way. Where it was like, are we doing everything you want to be doing? And like if one person was like, I actually kind of want to do this snorkeling thing. Everyone would be like, totally. Yes, let's snorkel. It's so fun. You want to do that. Let's go. It also sounds like you went with three people who you didn't know, but who also had like very similar MOs to be like, we love adventure. We love fun. We're game for anything, which like that is the trick. Let me tell you the truth. They were all really good friends with a guy that I had slept with that I liked. And I was kind of doing it to fuck with him. Which is a really weird thing to do, but it was also a trip to Aruba. And I remember the guy that offered the trip was like, I have, I want a free place to stay. So I had to buy the airfare and that was it. So we go to Aruba and then while we're in Aruba, somebody approached us to be like, if you are married and two of them were a couple and then there was a guy and me, we were not hooking up or anything. If you guys are married couples or you pretend to be a married couple, the guy even said pretend, and you go to this timeshare meeting, I get a little money for the number of people I send to it. 
And if you go to the meeting, you get all these perks like a lobster dinner on the beach and this, that, and the other. So we went and we pretended to be married. Me and this guy that Wait, really didn't know each other. this sounds incredible. And they were asking us questions because they could tell we were lying, which is offensive because I'm an actor. I couldn't, be, I can't believe I could not sell this. <laughs> but they were just like, you're not married. I think we were like probably overdoing it. We were like, what do married people do? Because we were like in our 20s. Did you just like bicker a little? We were like, hey, honey bunny. Like, you know, something weird. <laughs> we also look really young. Like you've always looked younger than your age. So they probably were like, are you a fucking child bride? <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, they, they eventually were like, you guys aren't married, are you? And we were like, no, but, you know, we someone a lobster, told us but... to pretend we were married so we could get this lobster dinner. And they were like, look, we're going to give you the lobster dinner. <laughs> but you Can need you to tell the... us the guy that, that asked you to do this? And we we're like, yeah, this guy. So we actually got him in trouble and got the lobster dinner. You fucked up. We threw him under the bus. You threw him under the bus. But you were that 22. The lobster dinner was great, though. The whole trip was great. And then we got in trouble on the airplane home. This story went from Natalie Holloway to Quinn's. Dumping our duty-free alcohol into Cokes we were ordering on the plane. Oh, my God. You we had a fucking making fun time. mixed drinks on the airplane. And they were like, we're going to ask you to leave at 6,000 feet. And we were like, all right, we'd like to stay. So we'll stop doing that. And then you DB Coopered it. You got a parachute and you... <laughs> we do whatever we want. Anyway... I that was sorry that was such a tangent no, but I, I do remember tangent. when I went so look for how long wait do you know what year you went um yes I went in oh five wait wait when in oh five fall Natalie disappeared May 30th 2005 you went a few months after it was like hot news what, when I what went. What the fuck is it? Like with Amanda Knox, that like what is up with your life? You like are missing abduction at every turn. Like I don't understand. The question is when will my luck run out? I mean you have I mean you're you've been abducted by your family. You can no longer leave. I think we all know that to be true. That is insane that you went that far because Aruba in September, I think. Because to jump ahead, like, you probably got incredible deals because their tourism, they were so fucking worried about, like, the a airfare white... airfare was so cheap. Yes. I cannot believe you. That is wild. And your mom was like, yeah, go for it. My mom would be like, there's no fucking way in hell you're going. <sighs> Whoa. So Natalie is 18 years old. She just graduates high school. She's going to Aruba. And they're chaperones, but they were like... Not real chaperones. You know, they, like, check in every day to make sure everybody was okay. But, like, there was a lot of drinking. The drinking age was 18. And so you have, like, all these high school graduates who've been working really hard. Like, Natalie had a full scholarship to University of Alabama for Mm pre-med. She studied. She was a really good kid. But these chaperones weren't watching their every move. They were staying at the Holiday Inn. And apparently the amount of, like, drinking every day was excessive. Like, they would all switch rooms. And apparently the Holiday Inn was like, you're not welcome back next year. It was just like a big party group. It's May 30th, 2005. It's the night before they're supposed to leave to go back home. It's their fifth day in there. They go to Carlos and Charlie's, this like nightclub. They're all partying. They're all drinking. It's 1 a.m. The club closes. Her friends go or her friends are like, we're going back to the hotel. And she's like, oh, I'm going to get a ride from these guys. I'll meet you back at the hotel. She gets a ride. She hops in the car with this guy, Joran Vandersloot, a Dutch guy, a Dutch national, mm-hmm. who is living in Aruba and going to school there. He's also the son of a judge in Aruba, and also his godfather is the police commissioner. Oh, shit. Yeah, we know this is fucked immediately. 
two and then two brothers. So her friends are like, no, 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 don't go with them. Come with us. And she's like, no, 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 I want to go see the sharks or whatever it is. So she gets in their car. She leaves. The next morning, everybody wakes up. They're going to the airport. No one can find Natalie. They look in her room. They see her luggage is fully packed, ready to go. She's not returned to Holiday Inn. Mm -hmm. It's unclear whether there were, the cameras were out and they weren't working or whether they didn't see her come in. Either way, there is no footage of her going near the Holiday Inn or returning that evening. Mm -hmm. She's missing. Immediately, her dad and a bunch of people fly right over to Aruba to start looking, to start, like, trying to find her da- their daughter. They're met with a bunch of resistance from the police. The police tell her father, and I'm gonna, a lot of this is from her father's perspective, because the disappearance of Natalie Holloway is about his journey to sort of follow up on a lead that I'll get into later. Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly heartbreaking. Her father is still searching for everything and he's doing it sort of on his own in a way because he doesn't want to get anyone else and their her family's hopes up. But he follows every lead to the possible end. Right. Um, which is just horribly devastating. And I'm I'm hope I'm I'm not spoiling to say that, you know, there's very little known. There's no closure, right? There's no closure. There's very little known about her disappearance. So the police tell her dad, you know what? She'll show up in a couple days. We see this often. Not the attitude you want when your 18-year-old kid is missing. No. Definitely not. So they wait like 18 days or something. But in the meantime, they start interviewing the three boys that she left with because they know they have evidence that she left. There's eyewitnesses that she left with them. Their stories all keep changing. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. They said they went to the lighthouse to drive around it. They said they went to the Holiday Inn. They said they went to this, like... They, the Holiday Inn has cameras, and like I said, we don't know if they weren't working or they never got her, but there's no footage of her coming back. The Aruban police don't really do much. They're pretty crooked. Everybody's pretty crooked well, on this the island. Well, isn't commissioner his dad? His godfather. His dad is a oh, judge. Yikes. Yikes. So he has 18 days before he's finally arrested. Yorin. The media gets wind of this, and it's what? Missing white woman syndrome. You know, so like this like promising 18-year-old beautiful girl is missing on a vacation. The media shitstorm happens. It floods Aruba. The police, of course, are getting defensive. The media is holding the police accountable for their inaction. It's becoming a circus. Aruba is a huge tourist destination, so they're mostly fucking worried about you know, the effects of their economy, of their tourism. But, you know, that won't stop Quinlan H.G. Posner. So nothing can stop me. Nothing can stop you. So they start doing a crazy manhunt. They have volunteers. People come to Aruba to help look for Natalie. They do an exhaustive search of the island. At one point, they excavated a landfill. Oh, my God. Her dad's like, that's the... I mean, here's the thing. It's an island. It's an island. There's an ocean. It's could turn the whole thing upside down and not find her it doesn't mean they didn't kill her now keep in mind the three guys that she left with weren't arrested until for 18 days that 18 days gives them ample time and opportunity to hide to get their story straight to figure out keep in mind you're on the like head guy in the situation evidence that's gonna point to them exactly any evidence his dad's a judge he has someone in his pocket and i mean her father 
which I'll get into, whatever. Her father is like, listen, they know no body, no charges. Mm -hmm. If there's no body to be found, they can't charge. Mm -hmm. So they get a bunch of leads while the guys are in, are in um, police custody. Yoron is missing a sneaker. They try to look for the sneaker. There's duct tape with blonde hair attached to it. They take it in for testing DNA. It is not a match. They are released with no charges and they have no evidence. So the three boys are released. At that point, they're chasing every lead. It is national news. They see clothing in like a crab trap. They test the clothing to see if it matches hers. That's a nada. They see a jawbone somewhere. They're like, oh, this could be it. And they're like, this isn't a DNA match. We don't know. They see possible photos of skeletons. Like everything that they're doing, they're possible just... photos of skeletons? There's like, there's what a, does that mean? There's a picture of like water and it looks like a skeleton is in the sand. Oh, wow. So they're like, I mean, they're fucking fi- trying to find anything and everything. In 2010, this is 2005... 2010, Yoren's father dies of a heart attack. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's suspect numero uno. He's the first guy. Mm-hmm. He's the last guy that was seen with, with um, Natalie. His dad, fies, his dad dies of a heart attack. Apparently before this, Yoren's dad met with Natalie's dad. And at one point, Natalie's dad, Dave Holloway, was like, if this was your daughter, like, what would you do? And he was like, I'm so sorry, but it's my son and I will protect him as well. Mm -hmm. So there's some fishy shit going on. When his father dies, Joran, who, if I wasn't clear before, let me just say, he's a piece of shit party animal, not a good dude. He calls a New York attorney and he says, I'd like $250,000 and I'll show you where Natalie's remains are. He gives them the money. They give him the money. He, they, he tells them a spot. Nothing's there. He's indicted for extortion and wire fraud. What an ass. Like playing with the family's emotions because he's a privileged piece of shit. May 30th, 2010. Five years to the day of Natalie's disappearance. He murders Stephanie Flores in Lima, Peru. Apparently, she wanted to, she she got a tip that this was a guy who was involved with Natalie Holloway. She borrowed his computer to look up any information on Natalie Holloway. He found her doing that and he killed her. He beat her to death. Oh my god. What? Because she was looking into it. She was looking That's what to they see say, if there yeah. was anything incriminating on him. Apparently she was hanging out with him. They were in a hotel together and somebody tipped her oh, off. Like fuck. this guy was involved with Natalie Holloway's. So she, they got in a fight. She like looked up information and then he beat her to death and she died. And what happened to him? He pled guilty to murder and he's currently in jail for 20, he's serving 28 years in Peru for murdering her. Do you think he'll ever tell anybody what, what he did to Natalie or where her body is? No. I think he's a complete he piece care. of garbage. He doesn't care. He He's a disgusting person. I wonder if his parents know anything. I think his dad does, and I'll get to that. Okay. There's there's some information about that, his dad. At the time, like, Nancy Grace was covering this a lot, right? So they were doing an interview with a friend of his, this guy, John Ludwig, um, who we're going to meet and get to know later on. But what you should know is that he does an appearance on on Nancy Grace talking about 
his friend Joran Vandersloot, mm-hmm. and he's like, listen, um, he pled guilty. He was really backed into it, but we're just hoping for the best, hoping he only gets 10 years. Like, openly discussing in defense of his best friend. And Nancy Grace is like, get this guy off the camera. Get him off. Turn his mic off. I don't want to see him. He's making me sick. Like, a woman is dead. And you're hoping he only gets 10 years? What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? So, two years later, January 12th, 2012, um, a judge declares Natalie dead. They hope it gives some solace or closure to have her declared dead. Because at this excuse me at this time i don't know if you heard there were rumors like she was sold into the sex trade like she was like because at one point yorin was like oh we sold her into the sex trafficking world um at one point he was high on he was smoking weed and like admitted to killing her and then when they tried to bring him to jail for it he was like that wasn't what i meant that's a lie i didn't mean that so it's like this guy it's no mystery is what is the truth it's a mystery in that there's no information. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not closure. You can have, it's like last week's story. It's like you have this Baba with all this information. And it is a mystery with what happened with your friend. But, like, there's no closure. There's no definitive No, no, story. we don't know. I'm just saying, that guy killed Natalie. We just don't know how. And right, that's the truth. So a PI contacts the Holloway family and is like, listen... I want to help you. How can I help? I have this software that helps detect a lie based on what people say, and it's pretty effective. Anyway, this guy, TJ, starts working with Dave, and they become, you know, thick as thieves, and they are following every lead, trying to find what happened to Natalie. Dave Holloway, her father, it feels in this documentary when watching him, it's his whole life. It's his whole life trying to find out what happened to his daughter. Mm -hmm. He's like, I can't even have a funeral for my daughter. (sighs) There's no closure. So they get an email from this guy. They get this, um, they get this contact from this guy, Gabriel. Gabriel is friends with this John Ludwig character. The guy that was defending Yorn on Nancy Grace. Mm -hmm. And he's like, listen, I'm a dad. I have two daughters. This guy's told me stuff about Yorin that I think you should know and I think it's a credible lead and I want to help you mm-hmm. in any way that I can. And that's where this documentary sort of picks up Got is it. following this lead. So John Ludwig, he clearly has some mental health issues. He clearly is a, has a drug problem. He is not a good dude. He's obsessed with Yorin Vandersloot, like truly obsessed in a way where like a best friend, like I'm obsessed with you. I love you. If you asked me to kill someone, I say I would do it. I wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, I love you, but I don't think I would forsake my morals. I don't think this John has any morals, but Yoran is, like, a horrible guy, and they're just, like, he's doing whatever. He's totally controlled by him. They have footage of John watching the Nancy Grace where he talks about Yoran hopefully only getting 10 years, and you hear John yelling at the TV horrible things about the deceased woman saying i can't believe she did that to my friend she pissed him off so much that he killed her and that's on her that he's in jail like vile like not well in the head right so gabriel has heard this story and john has said to gabriel five years after in 2010 i get a call from my best friend yorin he says we need to move the body. 
he points me to an area of like the wildlife preserve where she's buried in sand. He digs up her body. They take it to a crematorium. They burn her body and they scatter the ashes in the sea. And he says, this guy, John, is like, I went and I dug up the body of Natalie Holloway. I saw her blonde hair. And here's what we did with her body and remains. Mm -hmm. So Gabriel has this information and he believes John. And he goes and meets with the PI. He meets with Dave Holloway. And Dave Holloway is like, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Mm -hmm. I can't get my hopes up. Mm -hmm. So they check it up. They're... He says that Joran paid him $1,500 to do this, to dig up the body and bring it to the morgue. So they're like, if if this checks out, if mm-hmm. this lead checks out, we can maybe find some DNA evidence in the area that she was buried in an old car if they have it still. Like, there's ways we can see if she was once here, her body. We could use a cadaver dog, things like that. But they don't, they need to get him to admit it on tape so that they can bring it to the authorities and they can use it in their investigation of John. Mm-hmm. Because Yorn's sitting in jail in Peru. And by the way, I will say, the jail that Yorn is at in Peru is horrible conditions. It is cold. It is disgusting. It is not okay. So it's perfect for him, you know. John is told he has a free trip to New Orleans with Gabriel. And Gabriel's taped. And he's in a hotel room with John just trying to get him to tell and repeat the story so it comes directly from his Got it. mouth so they can build evidence oh, for an fbi so case intense to have to do that and dave is like her dad at one point like he's, he's like, talking do you want to play never have i ever <laughs> never have i ever been a Buried part of a, a huge yeah <laughs> covered up a murder covered like, up a murder helped a it friend just be so hard to get someone in a normal way to talk <sighs> well it's really hard because john is not well and you know, you end up, you're like, is he conning everyone? Mm. Is he, um, is he just trying to be kind of a big man on campus? Is he, is he saying he's involved more than he actually is? Okay. So what happened? So what happens is they end up getting him to admit the story. They have those tapes. Then they get him to go to Aruba with his girlfriend and Gabriel and his girlfriend. And Gabriel has a tracking device. So he's trying to get John to show him where he buried the body. They put the tracking device down. They're trying to find it. It's really, I mean, it's a six-part documentary series, so you should watch it. But basically... I thought you were going to say, and I only watched three. And I only watched three, so, so I don't there. know. So I actually don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to think, because again, when you watch a documentary, it's a little bit like what's happening. A lot of like, there's a lot of confusion. So John starts to show one part, and he's like, oh, this looks different. And then he shows another part. And then it's like, this so looks different. Know. He doesn't fucking know. Yeah, is the answer. He's not even trying to hide it, probably. He just No, he is it. hiding it. He's like, no, I know. I know what happened. So he's having them, like, look through all this. The cadaver dog is there. They're like, their hopes are up. Dave is in Aruba trying to find him. They've contacted the police. This guy, John, though, he's telling people where they put Natalie's body. And it's just not possible. It's just not fucking possible because John eventually comes clean to the FBI and tells his side of the story. Mm. And it's all bullshit. Mm. He gets everyone's hopes up. And listen, there's pictures of him and Yoren. I do think that he has a relationship with him. We do know that. They did talk about how they would roofie girls in Aruba and feed girls drugs. And what Yoren does or what... John says that Yoran says is that 
He took her by the Marriott, which is something that only Dave knew. The reason why that's an important piece of the puzzle is because everybody else thinks they went by this fisherman's hut. In the early part of the questioning, the lawyer for the two brothers that were with Yoren, they said, we drove Yoren and Natalie to the Marriott and they went and got a drink and went to the beach. We left at that point. That information was only shared to the lawyer, to Dave Holloway, and those boys. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, the story has changed. Right. But when he, when Dave hears that they were by the Marriott, that prickles something in his spidey sense that's like, this is nobody else knows that Mm -hmm. information. So it's this really heartbreaking moment of like some truth lots of lies and not knowing where to believe with this guy, John Ludwig, who's an incredibly unreliable witness. And frankly, like the police end up kind of being like, fuck off. We don't believe anything you say. So what Yoren says is he went to the beach. He had a drink roofied for Natalie. She drinks it. She starts foaming at the mouth. She overdoses. She dies. Yoren calls his father his father, the judge, who comes over and looks at the body and is like, we need to bury this. We need to get this out of here. He helps his son bury her body, and then they move it to a remote location. People saw Yoren's father leaving a wild preserve at four in the morning a couple days after her disappearance. There's no reason why a judge should be in a wild preserve at 4 a.m., so there's parts of this story that have to be true that check out that all this stuff. But this John guy who they've like focused all this like documentary on, he's just lying. Yeah. At one point, Gabriel, the informant and the PI and Dave Holloway cut ties. But Gabriel ends up getting John to go back to Aruba because John's like, oh, actually, I have a trophy that I want to show you. He digs up something from his backyard and it's in a ziploc there are bones and he's like this is part of natalie's body gabriel is freaking out and he's like listen we buried her in the pet cemetery he takes him to the pet cemetery john can't find anything he's like walking around aimless he doesn't know where to look so again it's like this like there is this bone that he finds so they bring it to the aruban police the aruban police are like these are animal bones they're not fucking real bones Dave Holloway is like, I'd like to have those bones and I'd like to get them DNA tested on my end. He gets them tested. The initial DNA test comes back negative, but then the second one, they test mitochondrial DNA, which is passed down from women. And they do find a match that some of them are human bones. They test further. They get the DNA sample from Beth Holloway, Natalie's mother. It comes back a negative match. So it's like these bones were from a woman, but not from Natalie. Very disturbing. But again, it's incredibly disturbing because it's like this Dave is just trying to find peace with his daughter and he's obsessed with it. In fact, Beth, his ex-wife, Natalie's mother, has since been like, I'm putting this to bed. I'm. She's I been declared, I have to move on. And she ends up suing the production company of this documentary for giving the DNA sample because she didn't realize what it was being used for. Oh. Because she's like... Dave, Natalie's father, is trying to find anything and is taking on all this by himself because he's like, I can't put my family through any more trauma. But he's obsessed. He won't rest. 
until all these leads, all these frayed edges are cut and found. Mm. So within that story, unfortunately, there's no resolution. There's no resolution. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. And this young woman who had so much promise and also so much media attention, you know, I mean, like missing white woman syndrome in Aruba, like this story that the media. So it's like the police fucked up. This Yoren guy who, I mean, let's be honest, he killed a woman five years to the day, to the day, May 30th. He killed another young woman and is in jail for it. The good news is, there's no good news, but Yoren's sentence is 28 years long. He'll get out in 28 years and then he'll be extradited to the U.S. to face charges of extortion and wire fraud based on that. What he did to the lawyer. Based on what he did to the lawyer and to the family. Got it. And they said he could get up to 50 years from that. And so the FBI is all but assured Dave Holloway that he'll never leave the jail, the prison system. Um. Update by John Ludwig, the guy, the unreliable witness, the guy that's just a mess. He ends up dying in 2018 from being stabbed to death by a woman he was trying to kidnap. Oh, my God. Beth Holloway, Natalie's mother, like we hear so often, she's an advocate for victims and families of abductions and disappearances. And she's trying to live her life with purpose in, in Natalie's memory. This documentary, I mean, I didn't know much about Natalie's case, you know? I mean, we all heard, was she sold into the sex trade? Was she sold, you know, we don't know. And unfortunately, I don't think we ever will. But, like, this father's journey of trying to find the person who killed his daughter is just heart-wrenching. And you see, like, at one point there was some graphic details shared about how they disposed of her body. And he was like, you need to do this when I'm out of the room. Like you feel, you feel it's so fresh; it never leaves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a kid, of course not. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a story! Well, thank you for sharing it. You're welcome. I mean, the only good news is this yarn guy is in jail. The problem is, is he should have been in jail earlier, and he killed another poor woman. If they'd have only, yeah, put him in jail sooner, someone else would be alive. Yeah. Well, do you want to hear from our sponsors? I do. We know you're here because you like listening to people tell stories. We have something super exciting to share with you. It is not a podcast. It is a musical novella called Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story set to music. It is a 28-cut concept album with 14 spoken word narrations and 14 instrumentals that complement and evolve the story And you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on Apple Music. You can buy the album. It is written and narrated by Beck Norman. The music is composed by James Keith Norman. It's a story of a pregnant young woman who's lost her lover in a war, and she sets out to raise her child until history repeats itself. It's engaging. It's impactful. It's also featuring Stephen Fry, which is pretty darn cool. But please go listen to Love in Times of War. It's a beautiful story, such a gorgeous music, and you won't regret it. We know why you're here. You love a true crime. You love a true crime moment. And if you've listened to all of our episodes and you're like, ugh, I still need more true crime, then you should go to Eastern Crime Zone, another true crime podcast with host Cassie Malay. She's from Atlanta. She's an armchair detective, and she wants to take you 
through real true crime cases. So you'll hear some cases you're familiar with. You'll hear some cases you're not familiar with. Either way, you're probably going to hear some new information. Oh my god, the recent story, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it involves a lover who's been hiding in an attic for 20 years. If you want to know more, go listen to Eastern Crime Zone wherever you hear podcasts and get down with your true crime self. And we're we're back. back. Well, interesting that you watched a documentary because not to brag, but I did too. Well, I now I feel now I feel insignificant. Now I feel less than. I now I feel. Read uh, an article from my uh, from Westward, which is like the Denver newspaper everyone reads, Rolling Stone, and then there's this thing called Wild Crime on Hulu that I watched about this. Here's the deal. Tell me the deal, Quinn. There's this Tell family, me the, deal. the Bartlets, and they live in Mississippi, and they're kind of, they're not like old money, but they, um, as the documentary said, they're not old money, but they have money. Do you mean they have interesting ways of obtaining money? <laughs> you know what it is? It's, they, they said it actually to, to illustrate the uh, a different point, I think, which was these are people that... Um, believe in a good hard day's work they don't take their money for granted even though they are well off i dig that yeah um right am i allowed to dig that yeah totally their daughter is tony bartlett and um she always wanted to be a doctor and she ends up having a failed marriage and after her divorce she just dives into her work she um is going to become an ophthalmologist and she but she does really want to get married and she Tony, wants a family. I hear you, lady. Right. So she does what we all do, right? She gets online to date. Oh, she does. She does. She goes to a Christian dating site, in fact. She ends up meeting this guy, Harold, on the dating site. And he's like, oh, I'm an independent fundraiser for nonprofits. Um, and he's pretty wealthy in his own right. And the family's like, great, she met this guy. They meet him and they're kind of like, eh. <laughs> in the sense that yes. he's always smiling. He's always got a good attitude, but he kind of has, like, used car salesman energy. Do you know what I mean? Like, a little bit veneery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty short engagement, too, before they get married. They only see each other because they don't live in the same state. Well, they I only, guess, like, Christians, they, you know. They see each yeah. other, like, seven times. They get married, and they move to Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which I'm quite familiar with. Brayden used to live in Highlands Ranch. It's one of those places where you pick... Your carpet from a catalog. You know what I mean? Where they're like, here are the three carpet color options. Which one are you going to pick for your special house? <laughs> and do you want this kind of window? It's like you have to like, like a cookie cutter. You stay within their like. Totally. It's a creep place. They have a baby girl named Haley and she gets a job and she works at Rose Hospital. Not Haley. <laughs> Haley works at the hospital. So Haley's born. She's super cute. She's so smart. She's so smart. She's like a little candy striper. baby. Mm-hmm. No. Um. Tony works as an ophthalmologist at Rose Hospital, which is the hospital I wanted to Were cite you born at? because I was born there. Yes. Um, Did you think you ran into her? No. Okay. But my eye doctor that did my eye surgery, mm-hmm. so he's an ophthalmologist, mm-hmm. knows her. <gasps> yeah. Wow. So he ends up planning... Um, a surprise trip for their, I think it's like their 12-year wedding anniversary. Cute. And he calls the people she works with to tell them about it and get everybody kind of in on it. 
And he's like, oh, here's what I want you to do. Sneak me into the office and put me in her like chair. Like I'm a patient and then lead her in like she's going to see a patient. And then I'm there and I'm like, surprise. And we do like an anniversary. So they do that and it's on film and you see her and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> she's not into it. She doesn't seem that into it. She's like, um, we had a fight this morning about me changing all of the diapers and you changing none of them. You're actually the last person I want to see, frankly. So he's like, surprise, I'm taking you out for our anniversary. Let's go. And they drive to, he's like packed a bag for her. They drive to Estes Park and they stay at the Stanley Hotel, which we have an episode about. Yes. If you want to know more about the haunted hotel that is the Stanley Hotel, a.k.a. Join Patreon. Join Patreon. <laughs> um, so they drive there, they spend the night, and then they go into Rocky Mountain National Park to hike. But the weird thing is they start their hike super late in the day, like late afternoon, which for a hike... You don't want to do that. Very poor choice. Um, Harold, the next thing that happens in the public eye, mm-hmm. is that Harold calls 911 and says that his wife fell from a, a summit on Deer Mountain and that he's basically like, she's in critical condition. She's had a really bad fall. I think he says like 30 to 40 feet. It's more like a 130. It's quite far. Um, and he keeps hanging up on them. And calling them back because his battery's low. He doesn't want it to die. And he's like, okay, I'm with the body. The park ranger goes out to find them. And Harold's like, you should bring a helicopter in. And they're like, no, there's really nowhere to land it. We're going to have to walk. So they go on foot. They hear Harold like blowing his hiking whistle and they're blowing theirs and they meet up. And Harold's doing, says he was doing CPR and they find her and they're like, she's gone. And Harold says something like, I think so too. The guy that gets sent out to sort of review the scene says, oh, this is a really dangerous area for a hike. I can't believe they were hiking out here. It's not um, really trod upon. And up at the top, like not with her body, is like a shoe that's untied, her backpack. No, not up at the top. They find a shoe that's untied, her backpack and her camera. And they're like, that's kind of weird. We would think those things, if she fell, would be at the impact area, not where she was found. They It just pricks their senses enough that they... Well, they're like, this is not a scene that looks like it makes much sense at all. Then they go to the car that oh, they drove no. there in. And in the car, they find a park map of the park. He wrote on the map by the Deer Ridge Trail hike... With an X. And then sort of above that is just another random X. Pretty weird because that random X is pretty much exactly where she died. So what How they do. How can people kill people and also be so fucking okay, stupid? Sure. Here's even what's stupider. Doing this in a national park. Now it's federal, right? Yeah. It's a federal crime. So they hand it over to the ISB Investigative Services Branch, and they do investigations of anything that happens in national parks. Uh, Harold is like, I didn't actually. They're like, what happened? How did she fall? And he's like, oh, I didn't witness the fall. And the reason I didn't witness it is I got a text at the time she fell about Haley uh, from the sitter, like how she did in her soccer game. But the time he says the text came, they look at the phone. Okay, the text came through 
at 554. You called 911 a minute later and said you were like with the body when you called. You were talking about how she was. How the fuck did you not see her because you're at the top of the mountain looking at the phone so you don't see her fall? And then one minute later, you're right next to her. It doesn't make sense. No. When it they really ask him about the map and that fucking X, dude does not have shit to say. He looks like busted vibe. You know what I mean? Totally. He's like, oh, bidi, 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 bidi. Uh, you know, I, I love X's. I, I love doodling. <laughs> Just so random. They're, they're blinks going bonkers. And they're like, okay, Tony's camera's pretty much destroyed, but let's pull the SD card out and let's look at the photos. And... What's kind of weird about this, and I didn't even realize when I watched the documentary what they were insinuating at first, but what they notice is they go, look, some of the last pictures taken are of him standing by himself on the ledge she supposedly fell from. He's standing by himself, smiling at the camera. He's in a white t-shirt, and then 15 minutes later, he's in a button-up shirt standing in the same place. And you're like, why does he keep going to that spot? And also, why is he standing at the very edge? You see his hand, like, grasping a tree, like, white-knuckling it in this way where you're like, (gasps) it would be very scary to stand there. Why are you standing there? We don't get a better view of what's behind you. And, like, the fucking picture composition is not benefiting because of the danger you're putting yourself in. So the theory becomes that he was modeling it there first and be like, you try. And trying to get her to come out, maybe even just to stand next to him, like come see the view, whatever it was. It's like, I'm standing here to get you here. It's not working. And then goes back to that same spot 15 minutes later because it doesn't make sense really. But they start looking into the hike in general in further detail. And remember I told you, it's like, why were they hiking such a dangerous area? And at late at night. He's like, we walked off the main road for privacy to have a picnic. And here's where we walked. And they're like, it's very weird they walked to the place. Because if you don't know the area at all, which she supposedly doesn't, you wouldn't actually know that there was a good view. Like, it's not obvious from the trail. Oh, if we go down there, we'll be able to see blank. It's like they're going through trees and stuff to a really random area where, yes, there is a view and a lookout. But it's not. But it's not marked, and you wouldn't fucking guess it was there. So he's taking her to this scenic view. They have lunch, and then they walk even further to get to where these pictures were taken on the edge. And again, there's no reason... To have gone that far, there's like sort of a boulder field they have to go across. And you're like, then you wanted to hike back up this? They're not like expert hikers. And it's late in the day. And they brought picnic shit with them. They can't have been. be stranger. And when they ask him about it, oh, yeah, Tony saw wild turkeys. So we went to investigate. That's why we went down that way. And then later they're like, turkeys? Are you sure? And he's like, deer? You know what I mean? Like, he's like, tell me when I'm close. How big? Tell me how big the animal is. How big, how big? How big? So bizarre. Honestly, it was hard for me to read because this is stuff that Matt legit would have me do. Legit. <laughs> so I but was like, is, I do feels... see where there's a world where this happens. I do see it. But with Matt, it's for sure accidental. So they know that she fell in, she hit a tree on the way down on her fall. They know that because the tree has, um, it's sort of damaged and has blood on it and stuff. Um, He, they can tell where, how he dragged her because there is a trail of blood, which he doesn't dispute that he dragged her to, to try to get her on flat ground and give her CPR. The head wound is very big that she has. It would have 
created a lot of blood. She doesn't, they, they, they think that's strange because when he makes the emergency call, he doesn't say anything about there being a lot of blood, anything about it. He also says that he did CPR and her lipstick is intact. So that is in, like ugh, one in a million red flags I'm listing for you, okay? Yeah. He texted so many people while this was ha- 98 texts were sent that night. They wanted his cell phone records, by the way, and he was like, I got rid of that phone. What? Also, there's and ways her- to get access to the fucking text. Why are people so stupid? Like, do you really think that they're like, oh, if the phone's gone, I guess we have no way to know. Yeah. I mean, they Fuck. got it, obviously. Yeah. Her family. It just is- makes you look guilty as hell if you don't want to share it. Her family's disturbed. They're like, he seems like. Um, that he did it. He's Yeah. He's real calm. Um, it doesn't feel normal. Then time for the funeral service. He calls someone to do the service. It's been like 36 hours since she died. And he's like. Here's the video montage. Gives them a video montage. No. But in a way that's like, how long have you been planning this, dude? Like, this video montage is made. And weirder yet, when they go to the service, the family's like, what the fuck? Because the whole video montage is of him, is of their life together, as though she did not exist till she met him. And she, to the family, how insulting that is. Like, the only thing, if I were to excuse it, maybe he made her the video montage for their anniversary gift. And he was like, well, I already have it. That's the only way I could justify that. But if he had planned on killing her, I don't think he would make it. That is fucking weird. So they need to start getting information on this guy, Harold Henthorne. So they start asking around. And one of the nannies is like, oh, they weren't getting along. They slept in different beds. He went on business trips all the time. He didn't bring luggage. So what were those business trips? Nanny's like, maybe he's having an affair. Um, but then they find out, like, where? Did, what's the deal with this guy's job? Let's look into this. Where's he getting Why all this money from? Why is he smiling all the time? <laughs> he's smiling. Well, he's like, I have a bunch of people that work for me. But he has, like, an office basement. And this is pre-COVID. It's like, he doesn't go to work, it feels like. And he says... He does this online fundraising work. The first thing you would need to do that is get this thing called a CFR, a certificate fundraiser, and you get it from an agency. They check all the agencies. He doesn't fucking have one. In the midst of them looking into all of this, they get a letter, an anonymous letter that's like, uh, you might want to look at this guy's first wife. You might want to look into that. A bunch of more letters flood in that are like, have you heard about this guy's first wife? And they're like, no. what? Lynn Henthorne's first wife. Oh, fuck. She's deceased. They get her death certificate and it's filed as undetermined. Yeah. They had lived in Centennial, Colorado, and people that knew them were like, he was very controlling. She was also religious. They met, I think, at a wedding. She <sighs> seems fun. She has fiery red hair and her dad was like, she was sugar, spice, and a fireball. Love that description. And I actually just love the description all her family members gave in the sense that I have never felt like people were realer about describing someone, which is to say they would be like, um, she was really shy and timid. Oh, but also really outgoing and loud. And just like it it somehow created this vibe of like this was a real person. And we're not trying to say she was this one thing because she was multidimensional and she was all she was things. a fucking human being. Her family also cites feeling like this guy had weird salesman energy. Um, when they were getting married, he 
created a binder and the binders would be labeled like photographer, DJ. And he would have like a million different things in there and make them do exhaustive research. Mm -hmm. Like he Mm -hmm. has to control everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's just so over the top. Anyway, as soon as they get married, he takes her away from her family, which was sort of a similar thing that they had seen happen with Tony. Both the families felt like once this guy married these women, they were out. They were out. But here's to the level where if they called, they were not able to speak to the person. (gasps) He would pick up their phone and put it on speaker and he would sort of control the conversation. So it's like, yeah, Lynn's right here or Tony's right here. And I think Lynn even said to her family, well, We've talked about it, and we really don't think we want to talk to anyone without the other one present. So you need to call me when my husband's home. I mean, so abusive, right? Such a red flag. Such a red flag. So one night, they're out driving, and Harold said he pulled over because the tire seemed a little bit flat. And he gets out to change it, and he gets out a jack. And he puts it under the car and it doesn't work. So he instead needs to use boat jacks to lift the car, which are its just a terrible idea. It's not safe at all. He takes the lug nuts off, says he hands them to Lynn in like a napkin or something. And then he takes the old tire, goes to the back of the car, throws it in the trunk, and then hears her scream because apparently his story is she must have dropped the lug nuts. They rolled under the car. She went under the car to get them. And then when he threw the tire in, it fell off the jack and crushed her. That is his story. There's a couple witnesses. There's one witness that happens right when they pull over before she's dead. This guy, Dwight, and he says, do you guys need help? And he says Lynn was sitting in the car panicky looking and that Harold wanted him to get the fuck out. Harold was like, no, beat it. I'm fine. I'm changing tire. Beat it. And he was like, do you want me to pull ahead and I'll shine my lights so you can see what you're doing? And he's like, no, go. The next person to witness this is this woman, Patricia. She sees him trying to flag down cars and goes over and they try to get Lynn out from under the car and give her CPR. And he's kind of trying to stop them from doing it. And they're like, she was blue from being under the car and maybe not breathing and maybe being cold. I asked him, let's put your jacket on her. And he said, no. He didn't put his jacket on his dying wife. And I took off my jacket and put it on her. This woman, Patricia, remembers this in a way where she felt sick about it the whole time. Where when they call her to talk about this, they're they're like giving her a ring years later. And they're like, do you know what we're... And she's like, that man in the road that night. That was changing the tire. You're calling about that, right? Like, she's been thinking about this since it happened. Where she's like, she called the police the next day and said, have you arrested the husband? Like, she totally knew what was was going on. She knew. Holy hell. Then they kind of try to do these things on the documentary where they're trying to restage it to see if it could have happened like he said. And obviously it couldn't. Um, They find out a few things. First of all, the lug nuts would have had to roll uphill. Second of all, it, the amount of time it would have taken her to drop a lug nut, have it roll under, get down on her hands and knees and crawl under the car doesn't add up with he walked to the back and threw the tire in. It's just not like timeline wise. That's not at all what happened for sure. Then 
they end up in a photograph seeing that he like a foot a shoe print on the side of the car basically they can see where he probably kicked it off the off the jack jack totally but this is all happening because they're looking into it with new eyes because of all this that happened Jesus. to Tony and they go back and they look at Harold's story that night and to one cop I'm driving east to one cop I'm driving west to one cop we already ate dinner to another cop we were on the way to dinner I mean oh my god cannot get his story straight they also look at the tire the tire he took off the car was no more inflated really than the one he was replacing it with it's just none of this is adding up they st- when they start looking at this, and Tony's now gone, and it's more in the news than maybe Lynn, because this is it's time a crazier story, I guess, in some ways, exes start coming forward. And they start saying, oh, he was really abusive. He told me he would kill me and no one would find me. And I left him. Like, people are telling crazy stories. And they're telling stories about how he was always interested in how much money they had. Grace who was a friend of his, he was kind of trying to insert himself in her life all while he was with Tony. He's taking pictures of her and her daughters, like as though he's the patriarch of the family. And in 2009, while she's in the middle of a divorce, he's like, we should get a life insurance policy on you to benefit your kids if anything happens. Let's take out a life insurance policy. It would pay 50000 to your brother and your four daughters if you died. I'll handle all the paperwork. Don't worry about it. How much was he going to stand to make? He He's not going to be in it, okay? She decides to not go through with this, but then later finds out that he did go through with it and forged the paperwork and that he was the sole beneficiary and it was for like half a million. All the while this is happening, he's trying to get her to move to Colorado where he lives. He's like, you should really move. You should really move. He knew her daughter since they were babies. And she's like, I have no doubt his plan was to have something romantic with me post Tony and to kill me and to take this money. And he knew my kids since they were babies and he was going to orphan all of them. So, of course, they look into insurance and there was, of course, a policy taken right before Tony's death. Um, There always is. And he, of course, benefited financially from Lynn's death. Oh, my God. Harold gets insurance on Tony from day one. It's like there's no question he was going to do this. And he gets four policies on her. He takes them out slowly over the years to not, like, raise any flags. It's something like a total of four and a half million. I mean, it's nuts. Also, this is going to kill you. You're not going to believe this. Not his first attempt at taking her life, we don't think. Because 18 months before this hike... They're at a cabin in 2011 in Grand Lake. Haley's asleep and he wants to go out and clean up outside in the middle of the night, calls her to help him, somehow gets her to go down below the balcony and then something crazy, he's up above her and something crazy hits her on the back of the head as she's bending down to pick up something broken, like a broken light she sees. She she she's ends up going to the hospital. And she's crying in the ambulance asking what happened to me. And there's major damage to her cervical spine and she has a fractured vertebrae. And it's like, 
it's he says that wood fell off the balcony or he was tossing wood out of the way and it must have fallen on her. She says to her mom, had I not been reaching down at the moment it flew over, it hit me differently. It hit me in the head and it would have killed me, I think. They get a search warrant and they figure out that Harold has made no money in two decades. He's a fucking poser. They think he's a psychopath and that he was just trying to get money from all these women and their families lying that he had this job and all the money he makes is from doing this. And if it worked the first time, I guess he got arrogant and thought it's going to work the second and the third time too. And this little girl, Haley, his daughter, controls her. Everything she eats, everything she does, he le- she grows up. She's growing older, and he's not taking the baby monitor out of the room. He's, like, watching her every move. It's super disturbing. And so, obviously, Tony's family is, like, how old completely is she when she, freaked how out. How old is Haley when her mom dies? A kid. I can't remember. A okay. kid. They arrest him and because he's a flight risk they deny him bond and they are able through looking at towers that his phone pings to start realizing different things one is that you know how he goes to quote work yeah it's him sitting at a panera bread and he sits there for hours and just does work on his computer and i think his work is planning murders he has been going to estes park obviously and figuring out this hike and doing reconnaissance work to figure out where he can take her, but then saying he's never been there before. They go to trial. And the big thing I want you to know that's interesting is that they let them talk about Lynn in the trial. They let them present, just so you know, this guy's first wife died. Let us tell you about that. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Which is I didn't think they were allowed to do that, but they fucking are. And we just had a case like that. Yeah. Anyway, it's very interesting to me. I, I got to ask Larry about this, but jury finds him guilty. He's convicted of first degree murder. And in 2015, he got sentenced to life in federal prison. Good. But I talked to Richard, my eye doctor. Yeah. I was basically like, did you know these people? And he's like, yeah, I remember her coming into work with the neck brace after he hit her in the head with a fucking log. Jesus. And he said after she died, he had to take a bunch of her clients because she was backed up for a month, and they're both eye doctors that worked in the same profession, so he ended up taking on a bunch of her patients. Like, we have, like, alerts, right? Uh Why, if someone takes out a life insurance policy, more than one on someone... Right. I mean, why, why isn't I there think a there is. Alert? I don't know how they didn't do this. He's he's doing something sneaky. I asked him, I asked Richard, I said, did you meet this guy, Harold Henthorne? He said, yeah. And I said, what did you think of him? And he goes, Christian, outgoing, psychopath, <laughs> with a, um, a fake grin, very helpful, very patronizing. And I was like, whoa, creepy. This is totally him. Like... What a fucking asshole. What an arrogant piece of shit. Controlling piece of shit. And thank God Haley got away from him. And thank God he's in prison because he would have just kept doing this. Something was really broken there. And he's one of those psychopaths they were saying in the documentary where he wasn't a danger to a stranger. No. He was just a danger if you let him into your life. 
because then it was all about what he could control and what he could oh. take. It is so It is so vile. Terrifying. It is so scary. <sighs> anyway, Richard was such a good eye doctor when I went in and got PRK surgery from him. Mm-hmm. He does this thing where he went to go do the machine. He was like, oh, just so you know, the machine's not malfunctioning or anything, but it does make a pretty weird smell right when we turn it on and we're using it. So don't worry about that. Um, and I didn't realize till later that he was casually saying that to keep me calm when really what you're smelling is your flesh burning because it's PRK. It's like burning your eye and you're smelling your own eye burn but the idea that that would occur to you while it was happening i could see where you might panic and they need you to be super still and calm so he was like finding a way to be like an ativan or anything beforehand yeah you're super drugged but you're awake you can see the laser but you don't feel any pain but you see it and you have to stare at it and they don't want you like looking away because they'll zap you the wrong place right Wow. It's a lot of pressure. It's 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 like standing at, you know, the edge of something and having that power where you're like, what if I it's that thing where it's like standing at the edge, taking a photo and then your husband. It's like pushes at, you off the cliff. Yeah, it's like that, like that. Oh, my God. Poor Tony. And I just can't believe that she and Lynn both had a moment where they knew. Yeah, they live. It feels to like know. Lynn. It feels like Lynn. Yeah, they lived. Like, it feels there's like a Lynn moment where she's falling she's down this cliff, going, "My husband just pushed me." And there was a moment for Lynn when that car fell on her, where she went, "I heard him just kick the car. Like, he's killing me. My husband <sighs> is killing me." Someone's been saying, "Like, what's the trick to living to like a hundred? And someone was like, "Don't get married." So I think that's my new goal. Okay. <laughs> so far, so good. Am I right? So far, I'm nailing it. <laughs> No brags, but I'm killing it. Killing it so you don't get killed. That's so wild. Ugh, what a story, right? What an insane story. No. And then he's like, bye, I'm going to work. And then he sits at a fucking Panera Bread and plans your murder. What a fucking loser. I'll Couldn't never go do to anything. Not even a you pick two. I bet he was stingy. I bet he only had a cup of coffee. Mm. And didn't and never shit. tipped. And never, never left a tipped. tip. Even though he sat at that fucking table all day. Fuck you, Harold Henthorne. You're a piece of trash. You know, I wonder if there's like a pathology, uh, the fact that he would pick Christian women, because there's this idea of like obedience. There is. It's because, and it's trust. It's the idea that people are good and all that. He's trying to prey upon people. Who are believing and trusting. Yes. (sighs) That is an incredibly traumatizing story, and thank you for sharing it. Do you want to babysit my kids so I can go? Yeah, get things? drunk with your parent with parent friends. Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. Nailed it. <laughs> are you gonna throw on a red lip? Duh. Where are you going? In a hoodie. <gasps> Combo pack. Love that. Casual but chic. Yes, it's called the mullet of outfits. We're gonna go to Sycamore. Cute. Love. Love it all. Great. Let's hope Griffin likes me. Ugh, you gotta make him mac and cheese. That's the way to his heart. Done. All right. Bye. Hey, I'm gonna make mac and cheese for Quinn's kids while she gets drunk. And you know what? It feels like we're um, we're switching. It's like a Freaky Friday. I said I wanted to event Freaky Friday, and, and here we are. are. It's Friday. And it's we're Friday, freaky. and it's we're getting freaky. The funny thing is, you're gonna want to switch back, and I'm not. 